1: Good evening. We begin tonight,
0: keeping them keep honest, with what the, uh, with, uh,
1: President Trump did on his Easter vacation. In short, he tweeted, and it's being seen as a reflection of the company he's been keeping lately, who is in his ear and who is not. So after a weekend at Mar-a-Lago with Fox's Sean Hannity and Janine Pirro, former Fox executive Bill Shine, immigration hardliner Stephen Miller, and oddly enough, boxing promoter Don King... He had plenty to tweet about, attacking the news media, except for Fox News and Sinclair Broadcast Group, the big local broadcasting chain whose anchors nationwide read a statement attacking fake stories, which the president endorsed. He also attacked Amazon and his own Justice Department, putting the word justice in scare quotes. He attacked Democrats for not wanting any border between the U.S. and Mexico, in his opinion. He attacked Mexico for not enforcing its own immigration laws. And most notably, he also issued a string of tweets on the hundreds of thousands of young people known as DACA kids, the ones whose future, you'll remember, was thrown in doubt by action he himself took back in September when he rescinded the program protecting them. Now, Since then, he's promised to deal with these so-called dreamers with, quote, great heart in his words and said this back in early January about new legislation on immigration.
2: This should be a bill of love, truly, it should be a bill of love, and we can do that.
1: Well, in the three months that followed, though, the president has sought to tie legislation on their fate to funding the border wall and restrictions even on lawful immigration. In other words, the president has been kind of all over the map on this one. Right now, it seems he's in a very hard-line place. He began with a tweet just yesterday morning. Border patrol agents are not allowed to properly do their jobs at the border because of ridiculous liberal Democrat laws like catch and release getting more dangerous. Caravans coming. Republicans must go to nuclear option to pass tough laws now. No more DACA deal. Now, in fairness, that was his second, not his first tweet of the day. The first one simply said, happy Easter. In any event, that one DACA tweet had a lot to, has a lot to unravel and some terms you might not be familiar with. First, keeping them honest, catch and release is not actually a law, Democratic or Republican. It's a practice, a controversial one, of releasing non-criminal undocumented immigrants on their own recognizance, in part due to a lack of detention facilities, in part the White House claims due to immigration law loopholes. Caravans are groups of migrants fleeing Honduras, Guatemala and elsewhere who are making their way across Mexico together, not separately, to avoid, they say, being preyed on. The nuclear option is getting rid of the filibuster in the Senate so the minority party, Democrats currently, could no longer block legislation. So with that out of the way, here's the next tweet, also on Easter morning, quote, Mexico is doing very little, if not nothing, at stopping people from flowing into Mexico through their southern border and then into the U.S. They laugh at our dumb immigration laws. They must stop the big drug and people flows or I will stop their cash cow NAFTA need wall. The president followed that a few moments later with this these big flows of people are all trying to take advantage of DACA. They want in on the act. The president continued today with four more tweets on the subject. Also surrounded by kids at the White House, Easter egg roll. In response to a question, the president said this about DACA kids.
2: The Democrats have really let them down. They've really let them down. They had this great opportunity. The Democrats have really let them down. It's a shame. And now people are taking advantage of DACA, and that's a shame. Uh, It should have never happened.
1: Well, keeping them honest, what the president neglects to say is that his own executive action, rescinding the program, precipitated all of this. He also neglected to mention that he has, at times, signaled he's open to virtually any compromise whatsoever on immigration.
2: Listen. This group comes back, hopefully with an agreement. This group and others from the Senate, from the House, comes back with an agreement. I'm signing it. I mean, I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it because I have a lot of confidence in the people in this room that you're going to come up with something really good.
1: So in the space of a little less than three months, the president has gone from being eager to sign just about anything to a Twitter rant about just about everything and very quickly a factually inaccurate rant. Not one single new immigrant can actually take advantage of DACA, as the president claims, unless they come here by a time machine. It's, of course, limited to people who have lived here continuously since June of 2007. Mexico is taking efforts to control its southern border. That began four years ago. Now, you can argue it's certainly not enough, but not that it doesn't exist. And it's hard to see what ending the Senate filibuster or pulling out of the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, has to do with anything, except perhaps that they either reflect the views of his harder-line advisers certain Fox News anchors, his own harder-line impulses and or personal beefs. So sad that the Department of Justice and the FBI are slow-walking or even not giving the unredacted documents requested by Congress. An embarrassment to our country, the president tweeted. He also said this. So funny to watch fake news networks, among the most dishonest groups of people I have ever dealt with, criticize Sinclair Broadcasting for being biased. Sinclair is far superior to CNN and even more fake NBC, which is a total joke. The president also attacked Amazon, apparently because founder Jeff Bezos also owns The Washington Post. He also mentioned what an honor it was to host the annual Easter egg roll, but surprisingly, or perhaps thankfully, had nothing to say about the bunny. More now on a president on the attack from CNN's Pamela Brown, who joins us from the White House tonight. So do we know why the president is in attack mode?
3: Well, there could be a few reasons here, Anderson. We're told by sources uh, that he's certainly feeling the heat when it comes to immigration. As you pointed out, uh, he spent the three-day weekend in Mar-a-Lago surrounded uh, by a parade of allies and hardliners on immigration, particularly Judge uh, Janine Pirro and Sean Hannity, who were reminding the president um, that, look, the midterms are coming up and told him that basically um, that this could hurt his party if he can't tout success in building the border wall that is on top of the, the vocal criticism from Ann Coulter that the president has been acutely aware of, that he was reminded of uh, over the weekend, we're told that the president was already frustrated that um, there has been sort of a lack of progress in his view on building the border wall. He felt like he was cornered in signing the omnibus bill with very little funding for the wall. All of this was exasperated uh, with reports on Fox News about these caravans of Central Americans trying to to come to the U.S. And so as we see, this is billing out on Twitter after he was sort of reminded of all of this over the weekend by these allies. But it it isn't just on the immigration issue, as you pointed out. It's a myriad of topics the president uh, is touching on, including um, Amazon and NAFTA and Mexico, his own Justice Department today. Some may say that, look, it's because he has lost some of his moderating uh, forces in the White House, including Hope Hicks, the communications, the former communications director who left uh, last week. And this is the The first week that the president is without her by his side, she was seen as sort of a daughter uh, to the president and someone who was a moderating voice. But even when she was here by his side, he still went through these sort of fits of fury. Uh, So I think really at the bottom line here, Anderson, is this is just the president uh, being the president.
1: (laughs) It's obviously not the first time, though, that the president has has gone after multiple groups in in just one day.
3: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at his Twitter feed, it appears that uh, the primary purpose or the way he views it primarily uh, is to go after people, to go after groups. It's really his outlet for him, the way that he communicates with with people in the outside world, uh, which always makes it more curious when he doesn't go after people or groups that you think he might would go after, such as perhaps Vladimir Putin, such as Stormy Daniels. You know, it calls even more attention when he doesn't go after those people because of the fact that he so regularly uses it to, to kind of go into attack mode on issues that are top of mind for him, Anderson.
1: Yeah, Pam Brown, appreciate it. Thanks very much, Pam. Some yep. perspective now from CNN political, political commentator, Ryan Lizza, as well as CNN political analyst, Molly Ball. Thanks both for being with us. Ryan, I mean, should anyone be surprised at this point that the president goes down to Mar-a-Lago, hangs out with people from Fox News, and then goes on a hard right tear on Twitter, which, by the way, it seems like most people on Capitol Hill basically just ignore now?
2: No, I don't think we should be surprised at all. As, as Pamela said, this is Trump being Trump. I mean, um, this is someone who, in his seventies, is not going to uh, is not going to change. And this, the the accumulation of the staffing changes at the White House um, have been to uh, you know take off some of the guardrails, some of the restraints that he previously had. Let's be honest; it's not like they were serious guardrails or restraints previously. Um, And he he loves this platform. He loves the fact that any thought that pops into his head can be immediately, uh, you know, disseminated to uh, his people. And he's very easily worked up on certain issues, especially immigration. Um, He's been very worked up about the omnibus omnibus bill that he claims he didn't want to sign and that it had no funding for his number one priority, this wall. Uh, I mean, not only that, the funding that it did had said it could not be used for anything but see-through fencing. So he's, he, and so it was very easy for him to get worked up by what's on the, uh, circulating in conservative media right now, which is uh, dejection about his immigration policies not passing. And so this is this is classic Trump. I don't. We're going to be having the same conversation, Anderson, a year from now, if, if he's uh, assuming he's still in office. Uh, this is who he is, and these, Molly, the sort of, yeah, good.
1: Yeah, Molly. I mean, I wonder how. How worried do you think he is about the base? I talked to Chris Ruddy from Newsmax, we're going to play that in our, in our next hour, who was down in Mar-a-Lago as well, who, who, who kind of pooh-poohed the notion that, you know, being surrounded by folks on Fox News, that he's getting this message that he needs to be fearful of, of being too soft on immigration, that he's not too soft on immigration. But do you think there is truth to that, the idea that people are delivering the message to him, that, you know, people in your base are, are, are starting to wonder about where you are in immigration?
4: Well, that's clearly the message he's getting from somewhere. And you do see it uh, popping up here and there in conservative media, which I think is really interesting because up to this point, conservative media has really been an amen chorus for whatever it is that Trump decides to do. And if he were to decide, uh, I thought, if he were to decide that the border wall wasn't such a good idea, they would just find a way to justify that and explain it and why it was a good thing. So it is very interesting to see conservative media holding Trump accountable for some of his promises, particularly on immigration, which was such a signature issue for him. It's hard to blame him for being frustrated. The achievements of his first year in office were achievements for the Republican Congress. They were tax cuts and judges. Those weren't the things that Trump really feels in his gut and really campaigned on, in his view, to the Trump base. Uh, And so you see him getting restless, wanting to do tariffs, wanting to do something about immigration. Uh, And, you know, as Ryan said, having fewer moderating influences around him. And, you know, I think We in Washington know that Congress doesn't do anything in even numbered years. But if you're Joe Sixpack, that doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Why can't the Congress keep going, uh, even though there's an election many months from now? So I think part of that, uh, you can't really blame Trump for being annoyed.
1: Yeah, Ryan, I guess the bigger question is whether the president really understands uh, things like what DACA is. He says big flows of people are trying to get into the U.S. to, quote, get in on the act. DACA obviously doesn't apply to people who arrived after 2007. So, A, what is he talking about there? And even last week, Thursday, we were reporting on, you know, he he made a speech in which he talked about and he tweeted about this as well. He even tweeted out a picture of fencing on the border that he said is the beginning of building the wall when, in fact, we went down there and it's basically just rehabbing existing fencing that was put up under the Bush administration
2: yeah there's in the omnibus, there was no money for his wall. It specifically said it, it, it wasn't allowed to be bu- to, to be built. And look, his tweets were a sort of hodgepodge of, uh, of, of 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 facts and and fiction about immigration policy. Um, you know, sometimes he talks about Mexico having this very, very tough immigration policy, which it, it actually does. I mean, in 2014, they changed the law in Mexico because of the, the crisis on the southern border there. And they're fairly aggressive uh, about uh, 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 deporting uh, people from, from Central America, something that Trump sometimes points out. Now he's sort of arguing that they're letting all these people through. And as you, well, a couple points on DACA. One, of course. President Trump ended the program. It doesn't exist right now. Uh, and even if it did exist, um, it would not necessarily mean that anyone uh, crossing the border uh, would, be, would be eligible uh, for it. Um, and then he, you know, he also made this point about if he had 51 votes in the Senate, he could pass what he wanted on immigration. That's not true either. The immigration bill that uh, went through the Senate didn't even clear 51 uh, votes. So th- that's not quite right either. So a lot of errors in his tweets over the weekend and today.
1: Yeah, Brian, Liz and Molly Ball, thanks very much. Perhaps no surprise, thanks, you should actually. point out the president just tweeted again. Uh, we'll have more on that next. You'll hear also from a former White House chief of staff who's got plenty to say about how this White House is operating. Also later, we'll dig deeper into the Sinclair broadcasting story. and that statement, so many of its anchors were told to read. Was it just a declaration of principles or, as many are you pro-Trump propaganda or guest debate? You can decide when we continue.
0: Visit Zenny today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN.
1: Well, most of us take a few days off. We try to unplug. The president, on the other hand, lets his tweet flag fly, especially on immigration. In fact, he just tweeted again. We should point out, quote, "...as ridiculous as it sounds, the laws of our country do not easily allow us to send those crossing our southern border back where they came from." A whole big wasted procedure must take place. Mexico and Canada have tough immigration laws, whereas ours are an Obama joke. Act, Congress. Then this came minutes later. Honduras, Mexico, and many other countries that the U.S. is very generous to sends many of their people to our country through our weak immigration policies. Caravans are heading here, must pass tough laws, and build a wall. Democrats allow open borders, drugs, and crime. Those were just the latest in a string of tweets we should point out. We've been talking about what it might mean and what it says about who the president has been listening to and who he may not be anymore, including Chief of Staff John Kelly. Now, earlier today on The Lead, conservative commentator Bill Kristol told CNN's Jake Tapper that General Kelly has little to do these days beyond calling cabinet members to warn them they're about to be fired on Twitter. Leon Panetta has a unique perspective on this as both a former White House chief of staff himself and someone who's been speaking out forcefully for so-called dreamers. Secretary Panetta, where do you think DACA stands right now, given uh, given the president's tweets this weekend declaring DACA dead and then blaming the Democrats?
5: Well, frankly, I I don't think the president's rationale is working at all with the American people, certainly with uh, Latinos, but more importantly with the Congress. Uh, I I think the reality is that uh, the president is the one who got rid of uh, the DACA program and created this crisis. Uh, He has uh, failed to, uh, to... be able to work out any kind of approach on Capitol Hill that was acceptable to him to try to fix the situation. And now he's standing back and basically blaming everybody else for the problem. I don't think it's working.
1: It's also interesting because you now have a situation where it seems like, you know, people still read the president's tweets and, and reporters report on them. It Doesn't seem like anyone on Capitol Hill really pays them any attention. Is that your impression as well?
5: Yeah, I don't I, I I don't think there's any question that uh, one of the things that has happened uh, over the course of these last many months of this administration is that uh, the Congress has gotten to the point where it simply doesn't uh, take the president's tweets in particular uh, with any degree of credibility. Uh, They've experienced a president who says one thing one day, then says something else the next day. Uh, They know better than to take any action based on uh, what he's urging, because in the end, uh, they're not sure whether he'll stick to it. So they basically keep quiet and do what they have to do uh, without uh, responding in any way to what the president is saying.
1: And these tweets obviously came after you know he was at Mar-a-Lago. He was there without his chief of staff, John Kelly. You've been a White House chief of staff, obviously, before. Do you think it's telling that Kelly was not with the president while all of this happened?
5: Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously not a good situation in the White House. Uh, you know, I think we've known that for a while. But uh, the reality is that uh, the whole purpose of, uh, of a chief of staff is to be able to work with the president, to have a trusting relationship with the president, and to be able to, uh, to at least provide some degree of discipline with regards to how that president presents uh, his positions to the country. Uh, Not being there in Mar-a-Lago and having a group of uh, individuals visit Mar-a-Lago that looked like the bar scene from Star Wars. uh, And then for him to start tweeting based on that kind of conversation uh, is just, I think, another reflection of the chaos uh, that this president engages in as president.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the, the, the bar scene at Star Wars. I wasn't going to quite put it like that. But, I mean, you did have Stephen Miller, obviously a very hawkish uh, member of the president's team. Uh, Sean Hannity, Jeanine Pirro, Bill Shine. I mean, sort of the you know, the, the, the bright lights of, of Fox News, if you will. Um, Don King, uh, you know, uh, I, who's really... I don't even need to try to describe Don King, the, other than he stomped somebody to death once. How unusual is it for a president to echo those around him instead of, of setting the agenda himself or to surround himself. I mean, obviously, I guess it's normal for people to want to have like minds around them. Um, but it is interesting to me just the extent to which he's just not only watching Fox News, but actually consulting with these people from Fox News.
5: Well, you know, I, I think I think what we all have to do is to kind of remind ourselves of how presidents uh, have always acted in the past, whether they were Republicans or Democrats. uh, Normally, presidents, uh, of course, they they want to meet with people that are friendly to them, and and most presidents have done that. But when it comes to policy, when it comes to pronouncements by the president of the United States, normally what every president I've known has done is to engage uh, his chief of staff, and the responsible staff in the White House or military leaders, depending on what the issue is, uh, to sit down and have a policy discussion uh, in which they arrive at a decision by the president, and then they develop a process for presenting that decision to the American people. This is the only president I've ever known who has basically thrown that whole process out the window
1: well, I mean, it's interesting, because I remember back from the start of this administration, you raising concerns about just the, the makeup of the White House, how, you know, the, the weakness of the chief of staff, how, how people didn't have kind of individual lanes of, of authority. Again, people could just wander in and out of the Oval Office. But several of President Trump's outside advisors have been telling him now, reporting that he, that he may not even need a chief of staff or a new communications director. I and mean, what, what kind of an impact do you think it would have if President Trump were actually to eliminate those positions?
5: Well, you know, in many ways, it feels like that's the case right now. Uh, even with John Kelly uh, as chief of staff, uh, this president basically goes off and uh, does whatever he wants to do, tweets whatever he wants to say, uh, and, and conducts policy uh, by, by his tweets. And so you very much have a situation in which uh, a president of the United States is basically out there kind of operating on his own. Now, most presidents usually have a support system. They have staff, they have a chief of staff, they have policy individuals who have experience in the areas that they're involved with. That's normally the way it's supposed to work. Uh, We are in never-never land right now with this president, not knowing from day to day just exactly what he's going to say, what he's going to tweet, or what he's going to do.
1: Secretary Panetta, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, coming up, the president's barrage of tweets, as we've heard, took aim at both DACA and Mexico. Just ahead, I'll talk with Univision anchor Jorge Ramos for his perspectives on them.
0: Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. President
1: Trump's tweets declaring the death of DACA landed after time the president spent with his, uh, some of his allies at Fox News. Univision anchor Jorge Ramos has, of course, spent much of the past year defending the so-called Dreamers and is the author of Stranger, the Challenge of a Latino Immigrant in the Trump Era. Jorge, the president tweeted DACA is dead. Do you think he's right? I mean, do you think that there is the political will to, to actually get a deal
6: done with this president? I don't see any political will from, from the president. I mean, we have to remember that the president who killed DACA is Donald Trump. He did that last September. And and he could have changed that. He didn't have to do it. But um, he was offered by the Democrats to have DACA approved in exchange for a few miles of the border. And he said no. So at this point, I, I don't think uh, President Trump wants to do anything that might favor um, up to two million DACA kids streamers and and the person who who did it was precisely Donald Trump.
1: I mean, he continues; he's blaming the Democrats for for uh,
6: for killing DACA. I don't think he's right. Look, it was President Barack Obama who in 2012 uh, established DACA, and it is uh, President Donald Trump who who killed DACA. They want to have some kind of negotiation with with the president. They offer him uh, up to 300, 350 miles of border and of wall. And he said no. So so at this point, look, uh, we've been hearing all kinds of things about uh, President Trump. He said that this was going to be a bill of love, that he had the heart to help the dreamers. If he wants to help the dreamers, he can change that immediately. He's not going to do it. I think something happened during the weekend. We, we are dealing with the most anti-immigrant president in the 1950s, not only uh, killing DACA. He wants to end legal immigration. He wants he has arrested three percent more people than President Barack Obama in his last year. So I don't think this president is going to do anything for the dreamers and the dreamers know that.
1: Uh, a Supreme Court ruling back in February ensured that DACA will be in place at least through, through the fall. Do you think that if DACA is in real
6: danger of expiring, that Congress would actually act? I, I don't think the Congress is going to do anything about it. With a with Republican majority, they can, they can not only approve DACA, they can help the DREAMers. They can also have immigration reform if they want to. They simply don't want to do it. I don't see any political will to do that. So for the DREAMers, they have two options. One is to wait for the courts to rule on this. The other one is what they what they already call plan B and plan B is to wait until 2020 and to see if Donald Trump is going to be reelected or not. But for many of them, Donald Trump is not an option right now. And, you know, the, the real wall right now on immigration is called Donald Trump. Trump is the wall. The, the president tweeted that, quote, these big flows of people
1: are all trying to take advantage of DACA. They want in on the act. I mean, that, just technically, that's not true. No one can, can enroll in DACA. What do you think is going on here?
6: He, he has no idea what he's talking about. He, he precisely said that these caravans, first of all, there are no caravans. There's one group of about 1,500 Central Americans going from Chiapas, which is in the southern part of Mexico, going all the way to Tijuana. This is not the first time they've done it. Every year they do it. And their purpose, and we talked to the Univision, uh, spoke to the, to the spokesperson, they clearly say that their purpose is not to illegally come to the United States. They simply want to bring attention to the violence in Central America. Many of them are from, from Honduras. So there's no invasion. No one wants to invade the United States. And um, they cannot take advantage of DACA. For, to apply for DACA, to qualify for DACA, you would have to have been here in this country before 2007, 11 years ago. This is completely impossible. I don't know what the president is talking about.
1: The, the president also accused Mexico of doing, in his words, very little, if not nothing, uh, to stop illegal immigration through, through their border. And they threatened to pull out of NAFTA if they don't do more. The relationship between President Trump and, and Mexico's president, I mean, it, it's certainly
6: been chilly. This cannot help. And now the fate of NAFTA is further in doubt. This is, this is not helping. Uh, even though the, the Mexican government uh, released also a statement saying that Mexico and the U.S. are cooperating on immigration. The fact is that uh, since Donald Trump announced his candidacy on, on June uh, 2015, uh, nothing's been good in the relationship between Mexico and the United States. Jorge Ramos, thanks very much. Thank you. Well,
1: coming up ahead, if
6: you've ever wondered what it would sound
1: like to hear dozens of local news anchors read the exact same script all across the country, wonder no more. The largest owner of local TV stations in the United States made anchors read a script railing against fake news. Sound familiar? Well, we'll take a look at what's behind it next.
0: I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. So
7: I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game. Being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March
8: Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
1: The largest owner of local TV stations in the United States is defending a move that critics are calling pro-Trump propaganda. By its own count, Sinclair Broadcast Group owns and operates close to 200 stations across the country. Local news anchors were forced to read a company-mandated script railing against so-called false news and fake stories, a script that sounded very much like something the president would say. Take a look.
3: The sharing of biased and false False news has become become all too common common on on social social media. media. More alarming, some media outlets have polished
9: the same are true without checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their
0: platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
1: Well, after that video went viral, the president tweeted about the backlash, saying, and I quote, so funny to watch fake news networks, among the most dishonest groups of people I have ever dealt with, criticize Sinclair Broadcasting for being biased. Sinclair is far superior to CNN and even more fake NBC, which is a total joke. Now, the company is defending the identical promos as a journalistic initiative. Gary Tuckman goes into detail.
3: The sharing of biased and false False news news has become become all too common common on on social media. media.
10: An identical script read by local news anchors across the country at stations all controlled by one company, the Sinclair Broadcast Group.
5: More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts
10: first. To media watchers, the tone sounded eerily similar to false claims of fake news by President Trump. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
7: This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
10: This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. The message, mandated by Sinclair to air frequently on its local news broadcasts, is done to, quote, create maximum reach and frequency. That, according to internal company memos obtained by CNN. It's the latest move by a media giant that critics say is pushing pro-Trump propaganda. Former FBI Director James Comey testified before the U.S. Senate on Thursday. Last year, former Trump White House staffer and campaign senior advisor Boris Epstein was hired as Sinclair's chief political analyst. As I've said in my previous commentary, the media coverage of this administration
6: seems to be a lot of hype and very little substance.
10: His regular segment is reportedly mandated as must-run nine times a week, mandated by corporate bosses. It has rankled newsrooms for cutting into local news time. In December 2016, Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, reportedly told a group of business executives that in the run-up to the election, the Trump campaign struck a deal with Sinclair. You got it? You got it? You got it? Better news coverage and return for more access to then-candidate Trump.
8: Thank you, Arnold. You
10: Most viewers of Sinclair stations likely don't even know their local news is being shaped by a national conglomerate. What started as one station in Baltimore had an explosion of growth in the last 20 years. Sinclair now owns or controls 193 stations and markets across the country, the biggest operator of local TV stations in America. And the company is poised to control even more, since a bid to buy Tribune Media would give Sinclair access to 72% of every household in the nation. That deal is currently under review by the Trump administration. Most of Sinclair's stations are CNN affiliates, meaning CNN shares content and resources with them and vice versa. AC 360 made repeated attempts to have a Sinclair representative on the program with no success. The company did, however, send us a statement that reads in part, It is ironic that we would be attacked for messages promoting our journalistic initiative for fair and objective reporting and for specifically asking the public to hold our newsrooms accountable. Gary Tuckman, CNN, New York.
1: Earlier, I spoke with Newsmax CEO Chris Ruddy, who
9: frequently speaks with the president. Here's what he had to say about this. I agree with the sentiment of the Sinclair editorial. I agree with the president that the media uh, should, should not be calling Sinclair unfair. I generally think Sinclair, if you look at their local news reporting, has been generally fair and not biased. I've watched a number of their stations. We have one in the local market here. Um, That said, there is a tremendous danger when major TV networks are homogenizing and packaging news at the local level.
1: Well, Joining me are NPR media correspondent David Folkin Flick, as well as ABC News legal analyst and Mediaite founder Dan Abrams. Dan, what do you make of what Sinclair is doing? I mean, owners of stations have, have obviously tremendous latitude. Can you remember, though, anything like this
8: before? No, I've never seen anything like this before. And I think that the two things that are uh, really troubling to me are, number one, is that local stations sort of pride themselves on independence, right? If you ask a local station, you know, what different you well, We're independent. And then you hear all these people saying exactly the same thing across the country, and it sort of detracts from that argument. But maybe the most important thing to me is... The tra- the lack of transparency, meaning if Sinclair wants to come out and say, look, there's been liberal media bias for years out there. It is time to combat that. Fair enough. That is absolutely their right to say it. And you know what? A lot of people would agree with them that the mainstream media has tended to be left of center. But to pretend that this isn't that kind of statement. To pretend this is just kind of a, a statement of how good we are as local news reporters and how we're going to go in depth and we're going to get the real story, et cetera, just feels disingenuous. And, and that's my bigger problem here.
1: Well, also, David, I mean, it seems like they're claiming what they're claiming they were talking about is not actually what they were talking about. I know you spoke to the Sinclair executive, Scott Livingston. What, what did he have to
9: say? He said uh, two things. He said, first, uh, this is a differentiation for us. Uh, Sinclair prides itself on rigorous journalism in its local markets. And let me be clear, you know, when I used to be a reporter... For the Baltimore Sun, and I'd cover uh, Fox 45 there in Baltimore. They did some of the best coverage locally of any in the market. But they says this is a calling card for them. They're just praising what they do and, and, and presenting it publicly. What they're also doing is essentially trashing much of the rest of of the media. He says uh, they're really just expressing concerns about the way in which uh, fake stories, as they put it, get circulated in social media and by some media outlets. But you know the the echoes of President Trump's rhetoric are so very strong. And uh, as Dan says, I think they have every right to present this as their corporate uh, statement of belief. The fact that they put it in the words of their anchors, they're trading on the trust that many of these local news anchors have built up over the years with their audiences. And I think that corrodes the standing their own anchors have, in a sense, not simply by dint of what they're actually saying, but by dint of the fact they didn't say it at all. They're simply reading from a teleprompter.
1: Well, also, Dan, I mean, to to the the, the point that, that David just made, it's not as if they were actually saying you know, fake stories that are ginned up by somebody online like the Pizzagate story are a real problem if they get into the news cycle. There seem to be, they, they don't, in fact, use any specific examples of what they consider a fake story. And it sure sounded from the way all, they, all the things that they were, the anchors were reading was they're talking about, you know, reporters like Maggie Haberman from The New York Times who have a Twitter account and that all these, these people are doing kind of one-sided reporting.
8: Well, of course, uh, they're talking about the liberal media. I mean, come on, we can we can sit here and we can pretend like maybe that's not what they're talking about. But of course, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the liberal media. And as I say, like, that's okay to criticize the liberal media. But I don't think it's okay to just pretend that this is just a a statement by the anchors. I think David makes a good point here, which is these anchors are now in a tough spot. You have people out there saying, you know, they should all quit. Um, they should just stand up and say, you know what, I'm done. Well, you know, that's a nice theoretical thing to say, and it's a nice principled point to make. But it's a lot harder uh, for these anchors who, you know, these days, those jobs are tough to find. Uh, If they say, I won't do it, they'll be celebrated uh, by some. They'll be uh, lionized by many in a particular community. But they also may lose their jobs. Uh, and so, you know, you are putting them in a difficult spot to have to make that choice. And, and particularly many on the left sort of demanding of them to say, don't say it. If they say you have to say it, then quit. You can understand the sentiment, but, boy, that's a tough spot to put all of these anchors in. Yeah, David,
1: I mean, the president's tweet in support of Sinclair today It basically, I'm not sure it helps Sinclair with what it's trying to accomplish. I mean, Sinclair is saying, you know, this isn't about left or right. This is us just expressing our values uh, of being fair. I'm not sure the president weighing in on the side of Sinclair while trashing, you know, CNN and NBC and others uh,
9: really helps their point. Well, and it's hard to uh, look at this uh, controversy over these uh, statements being read aloud by anchors. Uh, in the absence of thinking about how Sinclair handles itself both on the air and off the air. You know, they are now own 190 stations. They're looking to take over more than 30 more from Tribune Media in a deal that's getting scrutinized down in Washington. And the reason that matters is they are nationalizing their coverage on their local news newscasts. And a lot of that national coverage in the story selection and in the kinds of things that are selected becomes more conservative. David Fulkenflake, Dan Abrams, thanks very much. You bet.
1: Sure, my pleasure. Well, there's some new reporting tonight on the Mueller investigation to tell you about. The Wall Street Journal says that Mueller's team is investigating potential links between Trump advisor Roger Stone and a meeting he says he had with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Details on that ahead.
8: Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48.
10: For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like. All I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The full 48
8: is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: The Wall Street Journal tonight reports that special counsel Robert Mueller is investigating possible links between longtime Trump advisor Roger Stone and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Now, in his report, the newspaper says it has an email dated August fourth, two thousand and sixteen, in which Stone wrote he'd had dinner with Assange. Then, is now pretty much confined to the Ecuadorian embassy in London. An email Stone tells the paper was a joke. I'm joined now by one of the reporters who wrote the story, Shelby uh, Shelby Holiday. So, Shelby, Roger Stone says this isn't true—that he never dined with Assange—and that quote, "It's not what you say; it's what you do." This was said in jest. That's not dissuaded Mueller's team, it seems, based on your reporting from actually looking into it. Is that correct?
7: Right. So there's an email and it says he dined with Julian Assange. As you said, he tells us it's a joke. Uh, He did not deny that he actually wrote this email. He simply said it was all just a big joke, uh, claiming that he had been in touch with Julian Assange. We do know that after he wrote this email, he went on to tell a crowd in Florida he had been in contact with Julian Assange. Uh, And his statements have shifted over the past year. He told the House Intelligence Committee, according to reports that he spoke to Assange through an intermediary, that when we approached him about this story, he said he never talked to Assange in 2016, uh, especially on that day in, on August 3rd, 2016. If you pull it back and look at the, the timeline here, um, this comes a few days, his email comes a few days after President Trump called on Russia to find Hillary Clinton's missing emails. And it also comes after reported contacts between Paul Manafort, who's facing a number of charges, And a man that the special counsel's office said, uh, hinted at, is linked to Russian intelligence, Konstantin Kalimnik. So that timeline leading up to this email is very curious. And then following the email, Roger Stone went on Twitter and praised Julian Assange. He predicted that it would be the Podesta's time in the barrel. Uh, He went on to say liberals want WikiLeaks to stand down, but he won't. They won't. The payload is coming. So he predicted this email release uh, for months after the email That said he dined with Julian Assange.
1: Do you know whether Ecuadorian officials in London have been cooperating with with Mueller's team? I mean, obviously, Assange has holed up at at the embassy there for for years. If there actually was a dinner with Roger Stone. Right. I mean, it would have to have been at the embassy.
7: Well, that's right. That's unclear. And also, Julian Assange was not available to respond to comment. They have he has not had Internet access off and on. Recently, so it's hard to know. Uh, Roger Stone actually sent us a screen grab. We gave him multiple days to to show, to prove to us that he was not in London because that's where he'd have to be. Uh, all he sent, sent us was a screen grab of what appeared to be a flight booking with the name Roger. Uh, he said he was flying from Los Angeles to Miami on that night and couldn't possibly have been in in London. Um, but I've talked to different prosecutors and some say dining doesn't necessarily have to mean that he was there in person. He could have called him on the phone and caught him during dinner, or maybe they they had FaceTimed. Other prosecutors say that's pretty concrete language and dining would mean dining. Uh, But at this point, there's no beyond the email, beyond the screenshot booking. We don't have any proof that Roger Stone was or was not in London. And he wouldn't he didn't provide any other evidence. He scoffed at me when I asked if he could put me in touch with people he had been with on that day. Um, And he sort of just laughed the whole thing off. And even when I asked, is there a 2016 on the screenshot? He said, are you kidding me? So it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And even people close to Roger Stone say they they aren't exactly sure when to believe him and when he's telling the truth or when he's not.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is sort of a a performance art at, at times to to some of his statements in in the past.
7: Right. He calls himself a political trickster. And if you watch the documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, he actually really loves loves this reputation that he's He pulls off political tricks and sometimes he does things he says he's never broken the law, but that he does things that sort of raise eyebrows and um, stir stir the pot. I guess you could say what's unclear is if he was communicating with if he was communicating with WikiLeaks and also Guccifer, some people call him Guccifer. If he's talking to these two groups that spread hacked emails, Hillary Clinton's emails before the election, did he know that they were working in tandem with Russia as U.S. intelligence agencies have said. And did he know, did he have knowledge of a hack and still encourage the release of these emails? That would be a crime under the federal uh, election, or I'm sorry, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Because even if you know of the crime, you didn't commit the crime, but you helped spread it or you helped disseminate the emails, you could be in trouble.
1: Yeah, Shelby Holiday, appreciate the reporting. Thanks very much. Just ahead, President Trump goes on a weekend weekend tweet storm and declares DACA dead. He's also on the attack once again against the mainstream media. No surprise there. The latest on all of that ahead.